Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. We have a great show lined up for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How are you doing? I'm good. Lori, ever since the death of Harambe, you remember the beautiful silverback gorilla in the Cincinnati Zoo who was shot after a four-year-old fell into the enclosure, was scooped up by the gorilla, and uh, about 10 minutes later was shot because of fear that the gorilla was going to kill the child. Remember that? Well, I know you do because you devoted a whole segment to your opinion about that incident. And since we broadcast that, we've been watching the news very carefully and many famous commentators, animal advocates, animal rights leaders around the world have chimed in and given their opinions about whether that was necessary and how we got to that point. And one article caught our attention, and that was published by Captain Paul Watson. That's right, Peter. Captain Paul Watson, you might know him. He was the star of Whale Wars and the founder of a wonderful organization, Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. So he wrote this article, Harambe is Dead. This is a commentary by Captain Paul Watson. And I would like to address several of the points that he made in this article and and get your feedback too, Peter. Okay. The first point in this article that I want to talk about is he states Captain Paul Watson states, Harambe is dead because an irresponsible and negligent mother allowed her four-year-old son to fall into a gorilla enclosure. So the mother, he states, the mother is the root cause of the tragedy. Mm. So what do you think, Peter? Do you believe the mother was at fault here? You know, I know where he's coming from, and I do believe that uh, our legal expert, Bob Ferber, posited that she had certain responsibility uh, in this regard. But I have to say, I completely disagree with the captain. And I, I see if you are a parent, you view a zoo just like you do a theme park, like Six Flags or Disney or any of those places. So you have an expectation that your child is not going to be in a dangerous situation and cannot get into a dangerous situation. And even if you lose track of your kid because you've got two others or he's rambunctious or he is running around, still, ultimately, I think it's reasonable to conclude that parents should not have to anticipate that the child is going to get into an enclosure and protect against that. So you think the zoo is 100 percent responsible for what happened? Well, I didn't say that, so don't put words in my mouth, but I do think that I just have to disagree with Captain Paul Watson that the mother is the root cause of the problem. Okay, so if is a supermarket responsible when a child's running down the aisle, slips and falls, and several cans of beans fall on his head, giving him a concussion? Okay, well, of course, my years of legal practice. haha. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but so I, I just uh, okay, I'm going to decline to answer that. Question. Okay. It might not be a good analogy. It's, it's probably a silly analogy, but when I see kids running around the market, I think where the heck is the parent mm-hmm. and why don't they have more control over the kid? Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yes. Well, that may be true. And I've had the same thoughts about many parents in many situations, but I just think that there's a feeling of protectedness and freedom that parents have when they go in, into zoos. I hear what you're saying. I remember a time when a woman comes to, to see me as a patient. She brings her kid. And as they're waiting for me in the exam room, the kid mm-hmm. decides to jump and spin around on my stool. Yeah, okay. Good. And the mother just lets him. So if the kid fell off while yeah. he was playing airplane on my examining school stool and he cracks his head open on my floor, right. I, 
I'm responsible because people have... You shouldn't have stool. Okay. Spinning stool. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, well, similarly, I'll just tell you that, uh, you know, I'm a pediatric specialist, and so I have lots of kids coming in and out of my exam rooms, and they definitely like to climb on the equipment. And a certain percentage of the parents are just going to let them at it. Right. What do you say? You say, ma'am, that's a $12,000 piece of equipment there. Sometimes it gets their attention, sometimes it doesn't. Okay. Second point Captain Paul Watson makes... In his article, he states, as a parent, I find it incomprehensible that another parent would stand there and do nothing but scream. Now, he's referring to when the mother saw her son fall and was in the exhibit with the gorilla. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Do you think the average parent, when seeing their child is in an exhibit with a wild animal, would jump in after and save him? Well, I think that's completely unfair also. Who is to judge how another person should or could react in an emergency like that. So I just say, as a parent, that that doesn't give him authority to say what another parent should do or ought to do. Okay, so that's two points now. You disagree with Captain Paul Watson. Mm -hmm. So if I fell into the exhibit, you might not jump in and save me, but you sure would save one of our (laughs) four-legged friends if they jumped in. Well, everyone has their own criteria for risking their life. Point three. Captain Watson states that Harambi was trying to help the child. He states, what we saw was an incredible act of compassion by a gorilla for a human child. He says Harambi meant no harm to the child and was, in fact, protecting him. You want me to go first? Yes. Okay. Do we know that for sure? I mean, he's a wild animal living in an unnatural environment who comes in contact with a human species invading Mm -hmm. the gorilla's habitat. I don't think anyone can really predict what a wild animal is thinking or what he or she might do in a given situation, especially living against his will in captivity. Okay. Okay. He also goes on to say that, predictably, the zoos trotted out their go-to apologist, Jack Hanna, to proclaim that the zoo did the right thing, that it was a choice between a gorilla and a human being. Captain Watson continues by saying, no, it was not. The kid was not going to be killed by by this gorilla. In fact, there's no case of a gorilla in captivity ever killing a child, and these gorillas are actually approachable in the wild. Okay, a couple things here. First of all, Jack Hanna is not an impartial judge. He is a paid consultant by the captivity industry, including zoos and marine parks. So, of course, he will always support the action of the zoo. That's right. Hanna reliably supports the industry, really, no matter what. But this is where I don't think the captain is making a lot of sense, because if gorillas are approachable in the wild, okay, that's, that's fine if he thinks that's the case and if that's truly the case. That's one thing. But this is not the wild. So you can't apply what the behavior is in the wild to when they are held in captivity. And secondly, when he states there's no case of a gorilla in captivity ever killing a child, I mean, maybe this is the first time a child fell into the hands of a gorilla in his enclosure. Yes, Lori, I agree. For him to categorically proclaim that the gorilla was not going to hurt the child, I don't know how he can peer into the future with such confidence. And indeed, many other primatologists, he's not a primatologist, have stated that in this situation at that moment, and there's something else that you didn't mention, and that is all the onlookers were freaking out and making the gorilla nervous. Good point. That unfortunately there was little other choice. Whether you like it or not, I think uh, most people who are in the field 
acknowledge it probably needed to happen. One other thing that I just thought of, you know, on one hand, um, Captain Watson puts the mother down for not jumping in to protect the kid right away, but then now he says that, well, the kid was completely safe. The the gorilla wasn't going to hurt him. Oh, that's good. Contradictory. And, you know, mom could have broken both of her legs on the way down there. Then what? That's right, Peter. But still, I think uh, you and I are not going to agree that mom is guilt-free here. Oh, I'm not advocating parents who just let their kids run wild, but I, I'll just say, you know, what are you going to do? Okay. Now, regarding Paul Watson, you and I both admire and have a certain affection for Paul Watson, and he truly is a leader in the animal welfare and the environmental uh, movement. And, love the guy. And, and I love the guy. He's a wonderful guy. guy. Been on the right. show three or four times. Right. Just a little disagreement about this article and his opinions about this poor gorilla. Okay. Thank you for stating that. Another point he says in the article, Harambee is dead because zoos are no place for wild animals to be in prison. Okay. I a hundred percent agree with this. And in my view, this is indeed the bottom line, right, Peter? Yep. Yep. And I'm sure you agree with this too. And most animal advocates and others even non-animal advocates would agree that Harambee died because we humans enslaved him for our amusement and keeping any wild animal in captivity is just wrong. And that's why this beautiful sentient being is dead. We enslaved him and then we murdered him. This is what happens when you keep animals in captivity. There's always a risk to public safety. One will never be 100% sure that people and animals won't be injured when they are in close proximity. That's right, Lori. And the details of exactly how it happens, how the animal gets hurt or killed or how the person gets injured really hardly matter. Okay. It's going to happen. A zookeeper is going to get killed. That happened recently. An animal's going to get injured or killed by a hydraulic gate coming down upon him or her. It's always something. And we hardly ever hear about the injuries or death to the animals. Okay, Peter, so to that point, Paul does blame the zoo for not being safe enough to the zoo goers. And he states, quote, if it was safe, meaning the zoo, the boy would not have fallen in. The incident demonstrated that it is not safe. When a four-year-old can get into an enclosure with an animal at a zoo, the security at the zoo is seriously flawed. So we all agree on that point. Okay, but one step further, the zoo is an AZA accredited zoo inspected by the USDA yearly. Uh, And so the zoo relies upon their own internal mechanisms, plus these agencies to uh, give it the okay. And yet this still happens. So nothing is fail safe. That's the bottom line there. You can try and you can create all these systems and closures, but you're never going to be perfect. So these things will always happen. It's just the way it is. Okay, Lori, after the break, we'll be picking up the discussion with more zoo controversies. What are the problems with zoos? Do we need them? You know where we're going. You're listening to Animals Today. You're listening to Animals Today Radio, your home for serious talk about animals. Now in its eighth year, Animals Today covers all animal-related topics and issues worldwide with an emphasis on animal welfare. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals. Its mission is to improve the lives of animals and to encourage increased compassion and respect for all living beings. Check them out at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Your donation to Advancing the Interests of Animals will support the ongoing production of Animals Today. 
Just visit AIanimals.org and click Support Us. And thanks for listening. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and here's your Animals Today fun fact for today. Do you ever wonder why your cat bumps their head against you? Well, that unexpected butting of her head is known as head bunting, and this is your kitty's way of bonding with you. She is identifying you as one of her friends, and head bunting is her way of sharing her love and affection. And this is your Animals Today fun fact for today. Hi, I'm Lisa Givens. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's is a brutal reality for more than 5 million Americans. No one knows that better than their caregivers and families who suffer too. Research is needed to find treatments and cures faster. You can help fight Alzheimer's disease by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Brain Health Registry collects vital research information online for free. So do your part. I'm doing mine. Help find Alzheimer's cures faster by visiting brainhealthregistry.org. Hello, I'm Jerry Mathers. I was the beaver in Leave it to Beaver. When I played the beaver on TV, I often got into trouble without even meaning to. Well, years later, after I left Hollywood, I got into real trouble. My blood sugar was through the roof. When I was diagnosed with type 2, I was shocked. Now, the very same natural remedies I use to control my type 2 diabetes are available for you in a super easy program called the Diabetes Solution Kit. If you have diabetes, I urge you to try this step-by-step plan. It has all the natural techniques I used, and it works a lot faster, too. And today, you can try this fast and easy solution without risk. I'm Jerry Mathers, and if I can do it, you can do it, too. If you'd like to normalize your blood sugar and stop taking your diabetes medication completely with your doctor's approval, go to jerrymathers33.com for your free video. That's jerrymathers33.com. Reverse your diabetes in as little as 30 days by going to jerrymathers33.com now. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about the killing of Harambi at the Cincinnati Zoo. Peter, there's this piece that was published online, and it was a question and answer um, with Jane Goodall. We all know Jane, as well as commentary by Azadine Downs. He is president and CEO of International Fund for Animal Welfare. 
Peter, one question addressed to Dr. Goodall was as follows. You are known as one of the world's foremost experts on primates. Therefore, many people are interested in knowing what you think of Harambi's behavior with the boy. Can you guess what Harambi was thinking or interpret his behavior? Mm -hmm. Dr. Goodall's response was the only thing that can be known from the video is that a 450 pound animal has hold of a small child. Harambi could have hurt the child even without intending to cause harm and it would be difficult for even people familiar with Harambi himself, researchers or keepers who may have spent hours with Harambi to ascertain his intentions from a distance in as short a time as it would take to do irreparable harm. It certainly appeared at times that he was being gentle, but he was nervous and agitated by the unexpected arrival of the child and the shouting of the people watching. Okay, so I take her as the world's expert in this question. That's right. You know, people were also criticizing the zoo for not using tranquilizers to try to tranquilize Harambi. Well, this question was raised. Did the zoo make the right decision? Could they have tranquilized Harambi? Mr. Downs answers, based on what Jane Goodall is saying about not being able to ascertain Harambi's intent and the likelihood of even accidental death or injury to the child, I don't think the zoo had any other choice. That is the sad fact about keeping wild animals in captivity. There is always a potential risk to public safety and to the animal. And one final point on this piece I'd like to bring up is when Dr. Goodall was asked what can be done to prevent something like this from happening again. Of course, Dr. Jane Goodall responds, there's never a 100% accident-proof way of ensuring a wild animal kept in captivity will not pose a threat to people. Seems like I've heard that before. You sure have. Okay, Peter, and more of the same. In news recently, you might have heard this story. It was a couple weeks ago. Another tragedy involving a zoo animal. A jaguar, a 17-year-old female named Juma from the Brazilian Army Zoo, used in an Olympic torch relay ceremony, was shot to death after she escaped her leash and approached a soldier. Did you hear this one? Okay, wait a second. I vaguely heard this, but... You've got a wild animal part of the ceremony? That's exactly right. The Olympic ceremony. That's right. Juma was chained in the middle of the event as a live mascot. The army said in a statement that Juma was a docile animal used to living among people at the center. So what do the authorities say about this? This seems like a huge uh, mistake. Well, now the Olympic organizing committee said on Facebook page, quote, we were wrong to allow the Olympic torch, a symbol of peace and of the union among the peoples to be displayed alongside a wild animal in chains. The scene is contrary to our beliefs and values. The committee is now guaranteeing that no other wild animals will be used again. So, you know, I'm not sure about the part that the scene is contrary to the beliefs and values. I mean, unless this incident got them to really re-examine their values and beliefs, they obviously thought that at the time that it was acceptable to chain a wild animal in the middle of an event as a live mascot. And had this incident not happened, they would likely repeat it again with Juma or another wild animal, right? Yeah, that's what it takes an incident like this. And people are always so shocked when something like this happens. I'm not I'm, shocked. I'm not shocked. Yeah. We see and hear about these preventable tragedies over and over again. Juma behaved like a normal jaguar. That was her only crime. On May 27th, a male wolf named Rebel 
at a zoo in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, was killed after he nipped the hand of a four-year-old child who stuck his fingers through the enclosure's chain-link fence. So this all began when a worker left a gate to an off-limits area of the zoo open. So the child entered a non-public area of the park and put his fingers through the fence. Where the hell is the parent? The child was transported to a local hospital for treatment of minor finger injuries. The child is fine, but Rebel must be killed because the gate to a staff-only area was left open. The mother of this boy was not watching over her son. The boy sticks his hand in the wild animal's cage and his hand got nipped. Minor injuries. He's fine, but we must kill the wolf. Why? Because the wolf is acting like a wild animal. The Division of Public Health mandated authorities to kill the animal after the child's parents said they did not want to put their child through rabies shots. And a brain sample from the wolf then was sent to Madison for a rabies test, which came back negative. Anne Boyce, environmental health supervisor for the Winnebago County Health Department, states when a wild animal bites a person, there usually are two options. Give the person anti-rabies prophylaxis or euthanize the animal. The Division of Public Health let the parents decide whether to give their child preventative rabies shots. And if they didn't want to, Rebel, the wolf, would be killed so he could be tested. The parents chose to kill Rebel. And Rebel's test came back negative. Rebel did not have rabies. Why would Division of Public Health give the parents the option? No, because it's just easier to kill the non-human animal. You know, I feel sorry for the boy because when he grows up, he's going to be reminded of the story and he's going to have to live with this woman, his mother, knowing that she allowed him to stick his hand in a wild animal's cage and then given the option of killing the animal or having the boy receive rabies shots, I feel pity for the boy. Did the parent get fined for allowing the child into a non-public area? How about the zoo officials? Who left the gate open? Look how many human errors led up to the death of an innocent animal. But this is what we want to teach our children, I suppose, that it's okay to enslave animals for our amusement, and we'll just kill a wild animal who is simply acting naturally. You're listening to Animals Today. Fun stuff ahead. Don't go away. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and this is your Animals Today Minute for today. It's kitten season, and you may come across a litter of young kittens. 
Your first reaction will be to rescue them, thinking they've been abandoned. Stop. It's much more likely that the mother is off hunting for food or looking for a safer place to nest, or was just frightened by you. If the kittens are clearly not in distress and the nest is not in danger, leave them alone for the mother will likely return. But check again in a couple of hours and if they're still there, then please, yes, rescue them. If you need advice, call Forever Meow at 888-889-0345, extension eight. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner and that was your Animals Today Minute for the day. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to Animal Services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. Actually, it's our 350th edition of Let's Be Fair. So after more than six years of looking at America's legal system, let's do something a little different. Let's look at the legal situation in another economic power, Japan. The Wall Street Journal reports that Japan is struggling with a very unusual problem. It says, and I quote, its people aren't litigious enough, end of quote. That's right. Some Japanese experts actually think they need more lawsuits. Why? Well, 15 years ago, officials there started using law schools in the United States as a model for educating their lawyers. They were able to recruit more students, but public attitudes on suing one another didn't change. Japanese people like resolving conflicts privately, so now they have a lot of lawyers with nothing to do. Let's be fair. Is that really a problem? Here in the U.S., it was once reported that we have 30 times more lawsuits per person than Japan. Now that's a litigation problem. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Thanks for calling Consolidated Credit Counseling Services. Can I help you? I sure hope so. I'm in debt. Is it credit card bills? Yes, I have two credit cards that I'm making minimum payments on and another that I'm behind on. I owe about $5,000. What interest rates are you paying? Between 18 and 22%. At that rate, it'll take over 20 years to pay off. Wow. 
20 years? What Consolidated Credit can do is work with your creditors to lower your payments and reduce or even eliminate your interest charges. You should be able to pay everything off in three or four years. What do I have to do? Just give me some details and get ready to celebrate your freedom from debt. We're Consolidated Credit. We're here to give you freedom from debt. Call now for your free consultation. If I had known it was this easy, I would have called years ago. Call 1-800-897-8374. 1-800-897-8374. That's 1-800-897-8374. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated, 5701 West Sunlight Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Not a loan company licensed by New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM19, Oregon DM80031. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tenoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tenoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tenoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. Welcome back to the show. As you probably know, there are lots of different animal holidays or animal appreciation days or weeks throughout the year to honor and celebrate all the different animals on the earth. So when I can, I do like to mention and talk a little bit about when a national animal holiday or some animal appreciation day approaches. So on my list of national animal holidays, I noticed that July 12th is Cow Appreciation Day. So I figured, hey, that's great. This is a day to celebrate the kindness and beauty of cows and maybe to acknowledge the abuse so many cows endure. But I was very wrong. If you Google search Cow Appreciation Day, what you'll find is that it's linked to the fast food restaurant chain Chick-fil-A. And on that day, guests who come into a Chick-fil-A restaurant wearing cow attire will be rewarded with the Chick-fil-A entree of their choice. And kids who come in dressed like a cow get a free kid's meal. Okay? Is this the stupidest thing you've ever heard? And I couldn't find anything that promoted kindness or respect or appreciation for the lives of individual cows. So in an attempt to counteract Chick-fil-A's marketing campaign, here at Animals Today, we're going to show our true appreciation for cows. And not because they are part of a food chain, but simply because they are kind, gentle, sentient living beings. And people ought to appreciate that. And so who would be better speak with about cows as individuals than someone who rescues cows and maintains a sanctuary for them? I want to welcome to the show Helga Tackrider, who has such a place. Welcome to the program, Helga. Thank you, Dr. Laurie. Helga, you have a sanctuary called the Cow Sanctuary, and you have many cows just living happily and grazing on the field. What is it like being with cows? The cows are very, very peaceful. And being around them, um, they have a great presence. And the closest 
analogy I can make to what other people might be familiar with is the sort of a feeling you'd get if you were sitting in front of a fire with the dog lying by your feet and that kind of sense of peace. That's what cows emanate. Do they like to be around people? Are there family groups of cows? And do they like to be pet and loved by humans like our dogs and cats do? Well, they're very individual. Um, Some of them can't get enough attention, and they just follow you around and nudge you for pets and scratches. And other ones are a little bit more standoffish. And a lot of it is how they were brought up. The ones that have been in situations where the herd was abused or neglected, you know, that haven't had a lot of human interaction, they basically, even after being here for years, they say, just please leave the food and leave me alone. Yeah. But other ones are just, you know, you can't leave the door open, they'll fall you into the house. Right, that's funny. And do they get along with each other? They are, again, very individual. They basically get along with each other, but some of them have personality conflicts where from the time they meet, they just sort of make faces at each other and, you know, uh, well, kind of like dogs and cats again. You know, some of them like each other, some of them don't. But as a rule, they get along. And when they don't get along, they, they just sort of stay apart. And then some of them become fast friends with each other and are always together. You know, they eat together, they sleep close to each other. Um, If one goes to one section of the field, the other one follows. And as far as family groups, I haven't had the opportunity to see more than mother and child because the families are broken up before they get here. Right. But if cows come here and they're pregnant, of course, they get to have their calf and keep the calf. And the four cows that arrived pregnant nursed their babies until they were four years old. I mean, the babies were as big or bigger than the moms. And it was obviously just a bonding experience. It had nothing to do with food because, you know, at four, they were eating everything that an adult cow would eat. And the milk and the nursing was just emotional. Helga, do your cows have names? Of course. And probably just grazing freely on the grass and not being confined makes them happy. Yeah, they they graze for about two hours and then they sort of just hang around with each other. And this is where you see the socializing. The, The way that cows' digestive systems work is they consume a large quantity of food. They swallow it and then later on sort of burp it up again, and then they chew their cud. And that's a very quiet, relaxed time. And then they swallow it again, and then it gets digested. The time between when they eat it and they um, they start chewing their cud is their socializing time. And they just sort of stand around and and just be with each other. Now, your sanctuary has many other animals also, doesn't it? Yes, there are uh, pigs here and horses, a donkey, some goats, an emu, and some geese. And Helga, how did the sanctuary come to be? Um, It was completely by coincidence. I had worked on a dairy farm and found out firsthand how, how horrible 
dairy life is for cows. Yeah. And I didn't even work at a factory farm. I worked at a really um, small family farm. And, you know, and the cows, you know, they, they were sent to slaughter as soon as they didn't produce. And the babies were taken away from the mothers just as soon as they were born. Uh, so they had no family life. They they couldn't form attachments because they, you know, the person that they were attached to, the other cow that they were attached to, could be ripped away at any time. And um, and so I went to work on a horse farm, and who had cows on the side, just beef cows, that were supposed to keep the pasture low or something like that. And um, and one day there was a lightning storm, and. All of the mother cows were killed, and six babies survived. And one of the babies in particular was ill. And I said, you know, if he survived this, then I'm just going to take him as the one token cow for all the other cows that aren't going to make it. And he's the one that started it. Then, you know, I realized he couldn't be by himself because cows are herd animals. I said, well, I'll take one of the other babies and, you know, because I can't save them all. And then the other four, I looked after every day as part of my job and I realized, no, I I can't let, you know, the whole little herd of six is going to be okay. And that's how it started. Helga, how expensive is it to keep the sanctuary going? I mean, you're a nonprofit, so you're always looking for support, right? Yes, always. I'm fortunate that through just basically from word of mouth, because I don't have a Facebook presence or any of that, but people that have come here and seen how the animals are looked after, you know, donate to me. It costs about $50,000 to look after the animals here. Some years it's a little more if they're higher veterinary expenses. But just for the feed, and I'm very uh, frugal with anything else. You know, I don't do anything except buy the necessities that the animals need. And for 20 cows and uh, 10 pigs, five horses, and a few goats, and it runs about $50,000 a year. Helga, the other day when we spoke, you told me you are vegan. When and why did you adopt a vegan lifestyle? I became a vegetarian on principle in high school because I found out that I read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, and I realized that animals were meat, and I loved my dog, and I couldn't possibly, you know, love one animal and not love the other. But I didn't consider veganism simply because I didn't know about it. Well, I moved in next door to a dairy farm and I thought I'd have a little summer job that would be interesting. And like most people, I thought that cows just made milk. Right. But they don't. Cows have to become pregnant. They're pregnant for nine months. They have to have a calf. And if you want the cow's milk, you have to take the calf away from her Mm. because otherwise the calf will drink the milk. So the calf gets taken away from its mom, you steal the mom's milk, and the milk gets made into cheese and ice cream and all the things that contain milk. And that was the reason I became vegan, because I didn't want to participate in that. Helga, tell us your website. Um, My website is very simple. It's thecowsanctuary.org. The Cow Sanctuary. Helga Tackrider, thank you very much. Well, thank you, and thank you for appreciating cows. 
I do. Your Animals Today tip of the day is about urine spraying by cats. Spraying is a way for cats to mark their territory. Spraying is mainly a trait found in male cats, but females will also mark when they are in heat. Of course, in house cats, it's quite undesirable, but fixing your cat is the best way to correct this problem. Litter box issues are another common cause of unwanted spraying. But if the behavior persists, ask your veterinarian to make sure there are no other medical problems present. And that is your Animals Today tip of the day. Do you know what declawing is? People often mistakenly believe that declawing is a simple procedure that removes a cat's nails. Sadly, this is far from the truth because declawing is actually a painful surgery in which the last bone of each toe is amputated, including skin, tendons, and nerves. If performed on a person, it would be like amputating each finger at the last joint. Besides the immediate risk of surgery, like infection and bleeding, the pain cats experience continues long after the surgery, preventing them from walking normally and leading to arthritis. Often, after declawing, cats will stop using their litter boxes, choosing carpet, beds, or piles of clothing instead. And without their claws, their first line of defense, many declawed cats will feel stressed and begin biting. Plus, if your cat happens to get outside, she'll need her claws to defend herself from other animals. Most people get their cats declawed to try to prevent unwanted scratching and damage to furniture. But scratching is a natural behavior that is important for cats. Declawed cats cannot stretch or knead normally. Why would anyone want to take that away from a cat? The bottom line is declawed cats can suffer lifelong discomfort and disability. It's not difficult to modify the scratching behaviors of a cat, such as having a few sturdy scratching posts around the house and using toys and catnip to encourage their use. Did you know that many countries have banned declawing? And many veterinarians in the U.S. refuse to perform the procedure because it is unnecessary and cruel. So those are the facts about declawing. There's just no reason to do this to your cats. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working together with the March of Dimes through March for Babies to raise money and awareness about the serious problem of premature birth in the U.S. As a business leader, I know that babies born very sick or too soon cost businesses billions of dollars each year, in addition to the emotional stress on employees and their families. That's why Famous Footwear is committed to raising funds to improve the health of moms and babies everywhere. Won't you please join us in the March for Babies? Start a team today at marchforbabies.org. This report is brought to you by Mayflower. Millennials are being lured by major cities, but what will attract them to your city? The 2016 Mayflower Mover Insights study discovered where and why millennials are moving. With one in five millennials moving in the past year, these insights may be the difference between your city seeing the headlights or taillights of a Mayflower moving truck. Of millennials who have moved, nearly half identified love as a reason for moving. Millennials identified experiences as important for relocating, with food and restaurants as a top priority. Millennials continue to be enamored by urban centers, with nearly 6 in 10 wanting to live in or near a big city. Melissa Sullivan, Director of Marketing, Mayflower. 
Our Mayflower agents across the country are moving millennials as they begin new chapters of their lives, and many agents report new careers, relationships, and experiences as drivers of this generation's moves. Findings from our study help us analyze where our customers move and why they are moving. For moving tips, visit Mayflower.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. A monkey, an animal rights organization, and a primatologist walk into a federal court to sue for infringement of the monkey's claimed copyright. Sounds like a joke, right? But it's actually a line from a real court document filed by a lawyer for a photographer who was sued last year by the group People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. To make a long story short, a monkey in Indonesia took a picture of himself using a camera that a nature photographer had left unattended. It was hilarious, and the monkey's selfie went viral. Unfortunately, that's when the real monkey business started, and PETA sued the photographer. It claimed that the monkey, not him, should get any money generated by the photo. Let's be fair. I know our legal system sometimes seems like it's gone bananas, but I'm happy to say that a federal judge has just issued a tentative ruling upholding common sense. He says that a monkey can't own a copyright. PETA, however, pledges to keep fighting. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Hello, I'm Linda Gray, and I lost my mother and a dear friend to Alzheimer's disease. Nearly two-thirds of the five and a half million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's are women. Join the fight to help find treatments and cures for Alzheimer's faster by registering at brainhealthregistry.org. We collect vital research information online for free. Please do your part. I'm doing mine. Brainhealthregistry.org. Welcome back to the show. Lori and I became aware of this issue of fake service dogs or faux service dogs. We became suspicious of this phenomenon pretty early on. And in fact, we had an encounter with a woman in an airport with a dog and a vest and Lori struck up a seemingly innocent conversation with her and was able to pretty much determined that this was a, just a scam so she could fly with her dog. Remember that, Lori? Phony baloney. <laughs> Indeed. And and so we've been really tuned to that. We've done a couple of shows about service animals and emotional support animals and the susceptibility for this being abused, right? So not surprisingly, uh, the states are starting to take up legislation to deal with this because people are passing their animals as support animals when they really shouldn't be. And this one is in Colorado. The Colorado House has uh, passed a bill that would make it a crime to misrepresent a pet as a service animal. So you just can't do that. The Senate hasn't taken this up yet, but Representative Daniel Kagan, who is from Arapahoe County, he is sponsoring the law. And uh, if you're convicted... The first offense, there would be a $350 to $1,000 fine, similar to what happens if you are parking in a disabled parking spot without the proper permit. If you do it the second time, it's $600 to $1,000. The third time, $1,000 to $5,000 fine, plus up to 10 hours of community service if you keep on taking your dog with a fake vest where you shouldn't be. What do you think about that, Lori? 
Well, it is similar to the people with the handicapped stickers on their car or their tags hanging from their rear view mirror and they park in these handicapped places and then they come and, and run out of their car into the store. I know. Yes, there is, it is analogous. It's like it's sort of defrauding society a little bit. According to Kagan, there are three problems with this uh, practice. One is that the fake service dogs give legitimate dogs a bad reputation. I'm not, I'm not sure how that happens, but that's one claim. The other is that it's a public safety threat. And the idea here is that people might approach the dog and the dog's not used to the fake dog who hasn't been trained, is not used to how to deal with that. So you can get a bite or something along those lines. And uh, thirdly, that it is indeed fraud and, and people are falsely claiming that their dogs are service animals to avoid the pet fees in hotels and facilities like that. So those are his three pieces of rationale for trying to pass this legislation. I bet you we're going to see this all over the place because this is really, really common. Okay, does that mean we have to throw away our service vests that we purchase for our own dogs and cats? No comment. So, Lori, in the National Arboretum in D.C., they are live streaming an eagle's nest. Have you seen that? No. It's really, it's really cute, first of all, and the pictures are high def, and they've got two cameras way up in this tree, and now there are two little baby eagles being watched over by mom, and uh, you can see their little heads peeking up once in a while. Their little gray furry things are not flying yet. And it's really a really interesting story because they, well, they call the parents Mr. President and the First Lady, and they raised one eaglet last year, and now they've got uh, two, and they've got these uh, cameras way up that came from uh, Alfred State College, and you can go to uh, www.eagles.org slash dceaglecam slash, and you can uh, watch these guys live. It's really cute. That's great. Yeah. Major support of Animals Today Radio comes from International Society for Animal Rights. For decades, ISAR has been a world leader in the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and its moral, social, and economic costs. Please visit their website at www.isaronline.org. You hear about Giorgio Armani. They're going fur free. I heard that. Isn't that wonderful news? Yes, they've been uh, working with the... Fur Free Alliance, which is an international coalition of uh, 40 animal protection organizations. They focus on ending the fur trade. Well, Armani has joined them. How about that? Great news. He said, Armani himself, I am pleased to announce that the Armani Group has made a firm commitment to abolish the use of animal fur in its collections. And he goes on, technological progress made over the years allows us to have valid alternatives at our disposition that render the use of cruel practices unnecessary as regards animals. Pursuing the positive process undertaken long ago, my company is now taking a major step ahead, reflecting our attention to the critical issues of protecting and caring for the environment and animals. And I know, Peter, that Armani is joining these other high-end brands such as Hugo Boss, Tommy Hilfinger, Calvin Klein, and Stella McCartney in their commitment to go for free. That's great. And, you know, many people don't realize the damage to the environment for processing entails. So that's another positive here. Right, Peter. Not to mention the horrible cruelty involved. And uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott has just signed a bill making it legal to break into locked vehicles to rescue pets or vulnerable people believed to be in imminent danger of 
suffocation or harm. That's uh, something familiar to you, right, Lori? It sure is. And uh, this bill just uh, went into effect. And uh, you just can't willy nilly start breaking into cars. Keep that in mind, too, as you go along. But it uh, applies to people and also domestic animals like dogs, cats or another animal that uh, may be kept as a household to pet. But you've got to do a couple of things before you break in. Okay. So you have to make sure that the vehicle is actually locked. Okay. It's just not like a license to start breaking windshields. Okay. You need to have the reasonable belief based upon known circumstances that entering into the vehicle is necessary and that the vulnerable person or domestic animal is in imminent danger of suffering harm. Then you've got to call 911 or law enforcement either before or immediately after breaking into the vehicle. And you can only use the necessary force to break in that. I like that provision. That's logical. And then uh, you have to remain with the person, child or animal until first responders arrive on the scene. So you've got sort of uh, built in safety provisions here. Uh, Did you know? Well, wait a minute. Okay, so what about the responsibility of the person who left their dog or their child in the hot car? Oh, that's a good point. So this law would protect the person who breaks into the car from the person who left the kid or the dog in the car suing them. But how about the person who left the kid or the dog or the cat in the car? That's my point. Who goes after them? Right. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. Okay, you forgot. Right. So you might be cited because you broke the window to save a dog or a child Mm -hmm. without checking the four doors first to make sure they're unlocked. Versus the person who left the dog in the car, they get away scot-free. Yeah. Did you know in 2014, there were 32 children died in hot car deaths around the country? That's pretty horrible. I'm not aware of a similar statistic about animals, but uh, they are very susceptible, just like uh, kids are. And one or two minutes could make the difference. Okay, so you have to act. Maybe we disagree about whether you want to check the door handles first, but still, you have to act quickly. You have to act quickly. Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.